You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. If you say, hey, my kid's quiet because I let him play video games all day, that may be like you don't want your kid to be a bother to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are providing the kind of other-centeredness that we want to in a Christian home. It is so hard to love anyone, to love God well or anyone well, when fear and anxiety take up that much space in our heart, right? But what we've been given to steward, how are we doing that? And how much of what we've been given is trying to, is being poured into our children for them to have those two things, uh, the success and happiness. And is it disproportionate to the things that the kingdom of God prioritizes? Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts. First, Mrs. Cassie Bryan. How are you doing today, Cassie? Doing great. I slept in. Oh, You that's thought I great. was going to say something because I raised my glass of coffee. Well, no one can see that, so I was going to let it slide, but I you know. did get to sleep in. What does sleeping in look like? What time did you get up? Uh, I got up at 7.45. Oh, that is sleeping in. Yeah. That's a, that's a mom sleeping. Most sleep of in. this week I've been up because I started back at King Gladiator, so I'm back up. Oh, Camp Glad- that's why you're looking so small. Five to six. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> and of course, we're here with my wife, Chelsea Griffin. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm doing great. I got up at 7.05 and I would not consider it sleeping in. <laughs> how many How many alarms do you think does it take on average for you to get up? Well, today I set like two alarms and then I don't know if I, I snoozed them, but I didn't get to tell you this morning before I left for that breakfast that I was having some wild dreams. Uh, oh, anything worth recording? Or <laughs> It was like a childbirth scenario, but more than one patient in a room. Oh. And ultimate multitask. Was it like dueling birthing? <laughs> kind of. Okay. Yeah, it was like birthing in the octagon. Like, I don't mean, it was just like a lot was happening. And I, I think... In my dream, I was just like so involved in what was happening with all these people giving birth that like when those alarms went off, it just, it, there's no way it could penetrate what was going on in my yeah. brain. Yeah. I love it when the alarm goes off and it like incorporates into your dream for a minute and then it's kind of a sweet thing. I wonder for you, an alarm probably feels a little like, hey, somebody, there's a medical alert. Yeah. Something like that in how, your dream. How many of my alarms does it take to wake you up? A one. Yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, I got up just like you did when the dog came in and jumped all over us this morning, but that's all right. An animal wake up is is okay on occasion. All right. Well, speaking of loving things, uh, our topic today, can you love your kids too much? Cassie, you you said uh, you asked your kids this question this morning. How'd that go? Yeah, I was doing some research for this episode. Oh, a little background. (laughs) And at breakfast, I asked the girls, hey, do you think I can love you too much? And uh, Aberdeen did not even take a beat. She was like, yep. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. She feeling a little um I think she smothered. might be feeling the pregnant. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> well, no, she pointed to like, no, you have to love God most. Oh, that's really sweet. And if you, and so yeah, it was it was sweet. Do you agree with that? That we have to love God most. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Although Eric said it depends on how you define love, because God is love. Yeah. And so if you're loving God and loving appropriately, then then there you can't, can't love your kids. You, there can't be too much. You're I loving agree. your kids, the right? Yeah. I think there's it a nuanced a answer to this. Yeah, like I, I think there's a, a sense in which we can idolize our children, totally. and they take over love. a primary 
But they can take over a primary love. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, where sure. you're like, hey, they have supplanted God as far as what drives me mm, yeah. and what is what I organize my life around. And there's another sense in which if I love God, of course I'm going to love my kids and there's no limit to which I could love them. Mm. If it's a subservient, if it's a an ordered love. Sacrificial. Yes. Behind my love for God. In fact, through my love for God, I love my kids. Uh, but there is absolutely, I think, I don't know if you guys see this, a pervasive, especially in the Christian stream, permission to make your family the center of the universe is very admirable in some sense to say like, well, I just, because I love my kids, I'm going to do this. And it's a justification for decisions you make about, you know, their uh, name, the choice, and, and, and it's fine because it's for your kids' sake. In fact, what's ironic is we'll take Deuteronomy 6, which is really a chapter about a supreme love for God. And then we use that chapter to talk about a supreme love for family to say like, see, see how important kids are? They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The whole idea was that you're telling your kids how important God is not how important they are. You know, idolatry in general is something that in the Bible, it's one of the primary laws. Obviously in the 10 commandments, there's several that have to do with idolatry, whether it's making graven images or having any other God before our God. But idolatry really, if we could define it for a second, the worship of anything other than God, attributing to worth, attributing worth to something that you would say, this is worth more to me than God becomes anything like that becomes an idol, be it something that's more abstract, like control can become an idol or something more physical, like my possessions can become an idol or it could be a relationship. That's how we kind of identify what is competing in my heart for the things where God should alone be. And that can be, uh, we've talked about this before. It could be a spouse. It could be a child, could be a possession, but it's really asking your question, asking yourself the question, what are the things that I value most in my life and are they more important to me than God? Uh, have you ever, Chelsea, have you ever caught yourself more committed to your family than God? Is that ever a struggle for you? Do you feel like all of our love for family comes, comes second, comes subservient? Well, that's hard to answer. Um, <laughs> it, it reminds me kind of of like, you know, an interview question where they're like, what's what's your biggest weakness? And you're like, I'm too honest. Like, <laughs> I work too hard. I'm too hardworking. You know, and yep. so like, yeah, I found myself just like so committed to my family. Also sounds kind of like a sort of backhanded brag of, of sorts. But yeah. I, I think what can like trip me up is the fact that I know I have unconditional acceptance from God. Mm. that there's nothing I can do to gain more approval. Mm. Not that he is pleased with my obedience, right? We have a real relationship with God, but we're not at risk of losing his love. That's true. And with our children, we do feel a certain risk. Yeah. And even even with a husband, with a spouse, we feel mm. certain risks, Yeah. It, right? Because the acceptance feels like it's wavering, Right. Yeah. And so our children can show us a lack of acceptance sometimes, right? When if a kid says, Mom, why aren't you going on the field trip? You know, and you can feel this sort of like kind of pit of, oh, I, I'm, a dis- them down. I'm a disappointment because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm not committed enough to whatever it is, you know? Um, and so we, we feel that going up and down. And we should rightly feel secure in God's love for us and that God's not going anywhere. But these other relationships, we feel like we might lose them. So there's mm-hmm. like a fear that's much different than like the fear of God, but a, a fear of man that's like, I need to do something to make make sure I'm staying accepted. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of moms, especially, we do that with ourselves too, right? Like we'd say, God accepts me, God loves me, that's unconditional. But then we have like this constant grading scale of ourselves. Right of I'm always deciding whether or not I'm acceptable type thing that, that people fall into of... 
at the end of the day, saying, was I productive enough? Was I kind enough? Was I whatever enough? And giving ourselves some sort of rating. So I don't know if I'd say I, I've been more committed to my family than God, but I have bought into the idea of wavering acceptance versus unconditional acceptance. Yeah, it sounds like what you're describing, though, is really about, does my family love me? Therefore, I pursue a love of them. Like, do I, am I approved of? There's kind of almost a legalism you're describing yeah. between neighbors. If love of God, we know there's no legalism there. I am approved of and accepted and through Jesus Christ. But with people, with other humans, I'm going like, how do I know? if I am truly loved and accepted, is a is a self-focused other love, right? Like I'm loving others so I might feel better about myself. Right. And I definitely see in, in families an idolatry of children so I feel better about myself as a parent. Right, which is really, yeah, it's that's a self-love. Exactly. So the idol, idol there really becomes me. <clears throat> yeah. How do I feel about me? Yeah. And how do my kids make me feel about mm-hmm. me? Therefore, they become the center of of my life. And we justify sacrificing all kinds of things for our children. You know, sacrifice is a word we use all the time, especially in the Old Testament. But certainly Paul uses that phrase as well, to sacrifice something that we would be even living sacrifices, Paul talks about. But sacrifice is something you do to a God or to something you're serving. And people will freely say, I'm sacrificing things for my kids. And to an extent, that's good. But what you're what you're describing, I think, is really helpful, Chelsea, because we will sacrifice things in the name of our kids, but really what we might be doing, it's for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I feel okay about being a mom or it's so I can justify my choices as a father. I say like, well, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. How does, if we, if we can agree that there is a version of, of love, obsession, fixation, or service to our family that can at times supersede God in a way that is ungodly. So we can idolize our family. Chelsea, help us think about how does placing your love for your kids above your relationship with God then affect your relationship with God. What's the problem with that? I think where that's where that really hurts us is I think that robs us of a lot of joy, a lot of peace, mm-hmm. really a lot of fruit of the spirit that would rightly and easily easily come when God is first. And so what I mean by that is like when when we have our kids at the top of the list, then you notice we start to have a lot of fears about our kids. That's true. Right? And it robs us of this piece. It's this like, I have to do, like, you got to get you got to get your kids just some private, private batting lessons so they're a better batter because they got to get that scholarship because they got to go to college because they got to have a good life. They got to be financially secure. And like, mm-hmm. this just keeps going into like a vortex of fear on top of fear on top of fear and then control. And there's no peace in that. And so when, when we are rightly ordered with God first, then I think we're a lot more free to love our kids in a way that that has the fruit of the spirit pouring out all over it. And maybe, you know, not having all the same successes in life, but a lot more joy and a lot more peace. Yeah. Talk to me too about like, how does having a vibrant, actual personal relationship with God, how does that affect, how does that prevent having any other idol in your life, be it your kids or anything else? Mm-hmm. Well, where the the fears that we get when we start focusing on any worldly thing or um, our circumstances, when when that's replaced with the fear of God, meaning that like I wake up and think my life is in God's hands. I think my my outcome, right? The Bible says the stability of our times is in your hands, right? That God numbers my days, that, that God is for me. And if God is for me, then who can be against me? Like you see how this starts to drive out mm-hmm. the things that, that rob us, the things that squash the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so, man, where that would pour over to our kids, where if our kids— tried to describe their parents and they said, my mom, she's so peaceful. Like Mm -hmm. my mom's 
never frantic. She's never scared. My mom is always prayerful. You know, I mean, that that blesses your kids. Yeah. That blesses your kids like crazy. It sounds like the opposite of what I typically hear from pediatricians about parents with their oldest child or their only child, where there's a lot of anxiety for that kid because their parents have always been like, oh, what do they need? How do I, how do mm-hmm. I meet their need? What mm-hmm. do they need? How do I meet yeah. their need? And, and am I enough as a parent? And so that kid grows up a little bit more anxious than typically other kids in the birth order because as a parent, you were more anxious as yeah. a parent. And what are we doing there? But like, it's a result of our own a self-serving, other-serving sense of idolatry. Whereas if I have a peace in the Lord, it doesn't mean I stop loving my kid or serving them or helping. No, we're called to serve others. But I think what happens is it's rightly ordered, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's rightly motivated. Maybe it's not motivated by a fear. It's motivated by a love of God. Cassie, how does placing kind of the, the other end of the spectrum, if we have this love for our kids above our love for God, how does it affect your relationship with your kids? Yeah. What What's the detriment there? I mean, the inverse of what Chelsea's saying. So instead of peace, they have a mom that's anxious and frantic. And overbearing. Overbearing. Yeah, because you've placed them in a position where you put all this pressure on them to give you your identity. Right. And mm-hmm. they can't handle that. Like, no. You know, my kids, when that's me, you know, we um, interviewed Sissy Goff and we talked about an anxious you know, one of the parents usually is the anxious presence in the home. And I've been thinking a lot about that lady. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I I am I am that way when I'm putting it, them. It me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm the when problem, I'm it's putting me. them on the like the pedestal instead of having a rightly ordered love. And if we love yeah. God first and find our identity in him, then we can freely love our kids out of that and not put that pressure on them. Yeah. And they they can't articulate that. Like kids are not gonna come to you and be like, Mom, I'm feeling all this pressure from you. I think you've mm-hmm. wrongly ordered your loves, you know. I think <laughs> right. um, but they definitely it's definitely forming them and it's forming that relationship that you have with them. Is it James K. Smith that wrote the book on You Are What You Love talking yeah. about Yeah. What's interesting about with kids in particular, as opposed to other idols, I think, and I love what you're touching on here, Cassie, is you talk about forming them. If you are willing to make your kids the center of the universe, you will form a child who believes that's normal or good. Oh, for sure. Then narcissists, they're like walking around thinking the world revolves around them. Narcissism could be one of the things that happens. It could also just be a household where the demands of the child Mm. take priority over whatever the family might want to do because we want to keep the child happy or successful, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, some kids, although they would make terrible gods, all kids would make terrible gods. Some kids would delight in being treated like they are. Oh, for sure. Right? Like uh, they will get what they want. Uh, Or in order to have a quote unquote peace in the house, Mm -hmm. we will serve the the demands of the child. The child actually becomes a a terrible tyrant of a god. Well, I like what you were saying even about the first kid. What is it? A pediatrician that told you guys that? that The first kid. Um, And I'm thinking about like, yeah, if I loved Maven the way that I loved Lolly. Like there's something about the third kid that you just can't be obsessed with them. Like yeah. you are in the sense of like Maven's like trailblazing at school. Maven's your and oldest. Like, she's yeah. the oldest. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. She's the oldest. And so it's everything, every stage is new with her. And right. so we're going to pay a ton of attention to that. And we're spending a lot of energy on that stage. And then, I mean, the other day at school, Lolly had her little festival and I forgot to pack something. I forgot her soccer uniform for soccer practice or something. And uh, we were walking out. I was like, I'm so sorry. You have to practice in your uniform, your school uniform. And she's like, oh, I packed it, mom. I was like, well, that's not a sign of neglect. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's like, neglect, but. Uh, she's like, mom always forgets to do stuff for me. So I'm going to start doing just it take for care of it. That's funny. Anyway. Well, can you, we kind of touched on this beginning, but Cassie, do you think we can love God with our whole heart, mind, strength, 
and still have a huge love for our kids that we don't have to feel guilty over. Yeah, I think that's what God commands us to have. Okay. Is to love God and then love others. And so it would be out of the overflow of that rightly ordered love for God that we then spill that love into our children. I totally agree. And we're so free to do that without the burden of our identity being wrapped up in them. So if we think we can have this huge love for kids, and at the same time, we believe that kids can potentially be an idol that that overtakes our love for God. Chelsea, help, help us think about how do we know? How do we know if our kids have become idols? What would be some of the, like, the warning signs, the red flags that like, hey, uh, the permission to love your kid is not the permission to idolize your child or mm-hmm. replace God with them? Yeah, I think uh, we look at what we have, our time, our talents, our possessions, and kind of evaluate, you know, how are those things being handled, mm-hmm. right? And so if someone says, you know, how is your time with the Lord? How is your time in the Word? How is your time serving the church? Are you using your gifts to serve the church? And the answer to all of those questions is, I'm oh, I'm just so busy. And they say, what are you busy with? And the answer is youth sports mm-hmm. or tutoring. Like, this just isn't the life stage. I've got small children. I have small children, so I can't do anything right. in the church, those kinds of things. And again, I, I always want to just speak so much grace and freedom to our listeners that yeah. if they're hearing this and like— beating themselves with it's not condemnation. stick, going, oh, I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it can. our hearts can deceive us. Yeah. And so it can be really easy. And, and really someone outside of you often can't be the one to determine. Well, like the Holy Spirit has to convict us internally, right? Because mm-hmm. we can all put on a show for ourselves and others to say like, look, I'm so, I'm so well balanced or I'm mm-hmm. thriving in, in whatever capacity. But it has to be our own conviction from the Spirit to say, actually, I do think I am maybe giving birth to some idols over here. Another warning sign I would say besides being able to evaluate our time and everything is, I know I already talked about it, but I won't, I won't come off of it. The fear and anxiety. Yeah. Where fear and anxiety is um, compelling us, where it feels like it is. um, It's the driving motivator. Where it's overtaking us, where it's just such a central force in our life. It is so hard to love anyone, to love God well or anyone well when fear and anxiety take up that much space in mm-hmm. our heart, right? And so I think it's a warning sign when we just have so much fear or anxiety about our kids being perfect, our, our kids um, having success, academic success, social success, when those things are just so front of mind and then we fear in like kind of catastrophic ways that yeah. lack perspective, of like, well, if she's not invited to be on the fifth grade group text, then I just don't know how she's ever gonna get by. And we've got to we've got to go straight to counseling because you know she felt sad today, or you know whatever. Again, I'm not trying to like pick on anybody or t- tear anybody down. I'm just saying that that might be a warning sign yeah. when, when fear and anxiety about our children is so compelling that it drives what we do. Amen. Mm. Yeah, I love both of those examples you gave because I do think. If, if there are commands that God gave us, but we excuse ourselves because of the life stage our kids are in, it's obvious that we're saying, I know what God said, but here's what I need to do for my kids. And it's because I love my kids. And then we're justifying saying, uh, I'm not going to love God first because I'm going to love my kids first. And while our culture may celebrate your love for kids, it's similar to in the church how we would celebrate workaholism. And then you mm-hmm. end up burning somebody out yeah. where you go like, oh, look how hard our pastor works or yeah. look how hard uh, this guy works. And you go, well, is, but is he being a good dad? Is he... 
is he Sabbathing? Is he doing what the Lord has commanded? And we go, oh, but we celebrate workaholism. Or in parents, we celebrate a similar workaholism where we would say like, oh, look how hard they work as a mom. Look how hard they work as a dad. Look at all the activities and things they involve their kids. And we pat ourselves on the back when really we are driving ourselves towards something that is not the Lord and what he's called us to. And I think fear and anxiety is a great red flag. Hey friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrim's Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. Cassie, help us think about, too, when it comes to happiness, when it comes to success, how does pursuit for those things reveal idolatry in our hearts? A lot of times in this generation, Mm -hmm. we talk about how our kids' happiness becomes our motivator for how we parent and how dangerous that can be. How does that reveal idolatry? Well, I think we, I mean, we can kind of go back to our last season where we talked about raising countercultural kids, you know, and being countercultural parents. Because our culture says it has defined happiness and success for us differently than the Bible has. Amen. And so if our aim in parenting is to raise capitalist consumer children in America that have great jobs and have get to buy big houses and drive fancy cars and all of that, then we're just kind of playing into the American idolatry that we have in our culture rather than what God says is success. Right. And so I think that, again, what even what Chelsea said about looking at the resources God has given us to steward, mainly time and money, which we all have the same amount of time. So it's kind of like an even playing field right there. Like we've yeah. all got 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. but we don't all have the same amount of money. But what we've been given to steward, how are we doing that? And how much of what we've been given is trying to, is being poured into our children for them to have those two things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the success and happiness. And is it disproportionate 
to yeah. the things that the kingdom of God prioritizes. I think about, you know, I, I know we know people that do this really well. And this is not, again, to shame families who don't, but I think of our friends, the Blanchards that we have. Who have They're amazing. They have nine children. They're amazing. And yet they have prioritized times where um, they are serving. They are yes. helping one another. They're serving their community. They're, uh, they're planning and doing, like, they are just the high capacity people, I think most of us would call. Uh, call them. And then I know other families where I get really concerned, where I see their whole life revolve around a kid's activity or their marriage really in trouble because they've only ever thought about their kids and not each other. And so while we're not having a whole conversation about how love of children can also affect love of spouse, that is an important aspect of this as well, where if the kids take precedence in the family, then what does that mean for your marriage and how difficult that can be, especially as you start to approach an empty nest. Mm-hmm. So help us, Cassie, think about how do we love our kids well without making them the center of our lives? Well, I think we start with prioritizing our relationship with God. And yeah. so I think that starts with making sure you have time that you are investing in your relationship with Him in the Word and in prayer. And kind of the outworking of that, the ripple effects of that will be then your love overflowing into the lives of your kids. And so if you can, if you look at your day and your week and your calendar's too full or you love sleep too much or whatever it is that you're prioritizing, if, I mean, I would start to kind of take inventory and then rightly reorder your life around your relationship with God. Good. That would probably be the number one thing I would say for how do we start to course correct. And then I would invite other people into, into that. If there are people in your life that you see are doing this well, like you just mentioned um, our friends, the Blanchards, but if there are families in your church that you're like, wow, how do they do that? You might chalk it up to high capacity, Mm -hmm. but what it might be is they're just willing to die to their own preferences. And, you know, instead of, you know, making the perfect homemade meal or getting time with girlfriends, Lindsay's instead reading to refugee kids. She's decided that is what's important on whatever night of the week that she does that. Or instead of sleeping in or helping, you know, or whatever. And that's something you have to decide if you're married. That's something you decide together, right? You're not just going to like put everything on your home, on your spouse so that you can go serve the Lord. Um, It's something that you do mutually. But I think you take into account your inventory of your time and your resources. And then you invite people who you respect to come and speak into that and help you. I think one really practical thing is to get your kids serving. If you notice that in your family, you are always serving your kids, but your kids are never serving each other or others, or they are not, uh, you have not thought of opportunities to get your kids serving. Like if you can think of how can I get my kids, not just as people who are served, but people who are serving, Mm. that is a way to address idolatry. And again, not to say like, hey, mom needs the bathroom clean, so you got to clean it. That's not saying like, hey, I... I am about to be served. Although there is a there is an aspect of this in which serving the family or serving the parents is great. I'm not saying switch idols. I'm saying just think about how much of your family's uh, interaction with your kids has to do with them getting what they want versus asking them to meet the needs of other people. Mm-hmm. If you say, hey, my kid's quiet because I let them play video games all day, that may be like you don't want your kid to be a bother to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are providing the kind of other-centeredness that we want to in a Christian home. Well, and the other thing that you gain from that, if you're doing, if your kids are at the age where you can be serving in the city, serving the church, or even going on mission trips, you're giving them a new perspective on life. And then they might start, stop caring about video games or soccer or like what, they might start caring less about the things they've built their life around or we've built their life around. uh, And they will then hopefully grow in hearts of compassion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think about practically my, 
my wife, Chelsea, who's brilliant, you know her, she's sitting right over here. She has our kids signed up to be part of uh, not baseball this season, but the Buddy League. So our kids, instead of two of our three kids, instead of being on their own baseball team, they're going to join the Buddy League where they help kids with special needs as they play baseball. And I think, man, that's our kids are not going to be pro baseball players. And while it's fun and there's nothing inherently wrong with youth sports, with select leagues, with getting coaches, there's a sense in which I also, as a parent, want to, while I, I'd love for them to develop as an athlete, I want to the de- them to develop as a man, as a servant. Mm-hmm. So I love that Chelsea has us signed up for that. Now, the story that comes to mind for me in the Bible, Chelsea, when we think about this, about the idolatry of children, I think about Isaac and Abraham. Can you talk to us a little bit about God's heart on this topic, where we see that? Yeah. Well, God talks about our love for him and our love for others a lot in his word. Um, When he first gives the law to his chosen people, right? The first two commandments are about him. And and the commandments go on to talk about how you interact with God, how you show your love for God. And then there's commandments about how we interact with others and how we show love for them. And the story of Isaac and Abraham, honestly, it's an odd story because it seems unlike God to ask anyone to give up their one and only son. Um, of course, there's a ton of foreshadowing there. We see um, a shadow of the gospel there, and it helps us to think about God's great love for mm-hmm. us. When I think about loving someone so much that I would give up one of my sons or my only son, to me, that's just like a, that's a no-brainer. That's just a no. No, I yeah, don't, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't love. The stranger more than my son. Right? I don't, Yeah. I don't love anybody like that, any person like that to say I would gladly or even begrudgingly give up this precious son. I wouldn't do it. And so we see a profound moment there where God is really seemingly asking Abraham, like, who's your first love? And also, who do you trust? Because particularly confusing Mm -hmm. for Abraham to go, yeah. I was promised a great nation that would start with an offspring and we waited forever to get the offspring and now we have it. Now you say, sacrifice them. Mm -hmm. And again, it just, that whole thing just seems bizarre. Like, what do you mean? Kill the child. Like a death to the child just doesn't seem. It's a break of the covenant. Feels like a death to the promise. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just even seems, you know, this is against God's law. Right. You know, to take the life of another person. So it just, seems really confusing and we see Abraham's trust and it doesn't mean that Abraham thinks this would be fun or exciting, but we do see his obedience and even his own son's obedience too. Mm-hmm. As, as the events are unfolding, you don't see him run away and we know he's old enough to run away. So what's happening there? It just seems like, it seems like he's discipled his son. Yeah. Know, like we do what God says, mm-hmm. which is hard. Yeah. One of the other stories that comes to mind for me too is Leah in mm-hmm. the Bible. You remember, and this is not so much about how she um, idolized her kids, but you see in the story of Leah having children, how she idolizes her husband and sees mm-hmm. her kids as a means by which she might get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when she starts to have kids, she has this this first son and she names him, you know, the Lord basically saw my affliction and now my husband will love me. And then she conceives again and she's like, now my husband will love me. And then she conceives again and she gives another, she has another son. She goes, now my husband will finally be attached to me. I've borne him three sons. So you see in this, uh, really one of the saddest love stories in the Bible, if we could go deep into it, this picture of how Leah's been rejected by her husband, but she's having kids. And every time she has a kid, she hopes it turns her husband's heart towards her and it never does. And so by the time she has her fourth son, Judah, who ends up being in the line of Christ, 
she names Judah, just praise the Lord. Judah just means like give praise to the Lord. Mm. It's almost like you can see in her story how she has uh, shifted gears to go, you know what? I have to stop chasing the pursuit of my husband's love mm-hmm. as the ultimate thing, or that my children were a gift just to make my family the center of my universe, my husband or my children. And instead, just give credit where credit is due and say, Lord, these kids are all for you. These are right. these are your children. And while Judah certainly didn't turn out perfect, and neither was Leah, neither was her marriage, neither was that whole family, and neither are any of us, I think there's a picture there of saying like, hey, where's our, our love rightly, supremely given? And then how does that look for us? Mm-hmm. Obviously, in Isaac and Abraham, you see a God who's who's testing the faith of Abraham by saying, do you trust me more than your heart would tell you about your love for your kid? Mm -hmm. Even though I promised this kid to you, even though God would love us to love our kids, the supreme love he's asked us to have is for him and the supreme trust. Chelsea, what are, as we start to wrap up, what are some of the practical ways that parents can ensure that they're prioritizing their relationship with God while still fulfilling their parental responsibilities? We're not asking anybody to stop loving or serving their children, but how do we do this in in a right and godly way? I think if you ask yourself, if I didn't have any children, what does a godly life look like? What does it look like to follow Christ? And we naturally come to think about spiritual disciplines. Do we know and understand God's Word? Um, Do we spend time in communion with God, praying, um, worshiping, worshiping with um, the church body? Do I serve my church? Do I use the gifts God has given me to serve, to show love for my neighbor? Those things that we're called to do don't cease with parenthood. Nor do they say, okay, now use all of those things on your children. Because it is good to read the Bible with your children. It's good to pray with your children. All of those things are great. Mm -hmm. But we can have a personal relationship with God. And so I think some of the practical ways to just say, you know, how would I I spend my time as a godly person? How would I grow in Christ if I didn't even have kids? And then ask yourself, you know, have I told myself that those things are impossible because I'm a mother or impossible because Mm -hmm. I'm a father? And that's just not true. It's not impossible. We can serve the church and we can worship and we can somehow find a way for kids to play sports and still be growing in Christ. Amen. It's possible, guys. Yeah, any extracurricular, right? Well, and what you're saying there hits on our first, like our four buckets of family discipleship, which is modeling. Mm -hmm. So in doing that, and in being a faithful disciple and loving God most, your kids are going to pick up on what it means to love God and walk with yeah. Jesus. Yeah. You know? I'll tell you personally, I, this is an area of repentance for me. This is an area where I struggle. I love my kids so much. I love my wife so much that I can catch myself prioritizing what are their needs, what are their wants, what would delight them in a way that I think about them much more than I think about God. And part of that is what Chelsea touched on in the beginning. I count on God just to be there and to love and accept me. And I know that for my kids, I have less security, maybe is the word. I don't have, I have more insecurity around how am I, how am I in their eyes? How do people see me as a father, as a pastor, as a husband? And so for me, I have to, in this area, repent and surrender. I have to hold my kids with an open hand and say, Lord, these are yours. And however many days or breaths you give them, Lord, I trust you. If a child is miscarried, if a child lives a day, if a child is uh, outlives me, whatever the Lord might do, I trust him with it. And of course, I want a long, healthy, loving relationship with my children. But I know that my heart will tend towards, if I prioritize that too much, tend towards supplanting my God with my kids. And so the right step for me, the first step is, repentance, which allows me to refocus my attention on God, to make him the center of my life. That's what I want. I want to turn away from, not turn away from my children, but turn away from anything that threatens or competes with God for my ultimate affection. Cassie, what is 
what would a repentance, like practically, what does that look like for a parent who recognizes maybe that same idolatrous love that I've shared? Yeah. If you're listening and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is me. I need to repent. I would like find time today to get alone with the Lord. Even if it's after kids are in bed, it feels like you're too tired, but get on your knees and pray, confess, ask for clear, just next steps from God. I like what it looks like to turn away from that idolatry. And then if you're married, talk with your spouse about it and things that you guys can do together. And then if your kids are old enough, sit down with your kids. Yeah. And then sit down with your kids and essentially confess to them what you've done. Yeah. And that not don't sit down and be like, we're going to love you less, kids. <laughs> yeah, we're not asking anybody to love their kids less. Yeah, love your kids exactly. rightly. Right? And tell them, you know, I would say like, these are the ways that we've neglected our love for God. And what we want you to start seeing is how much we love him. And so these are the steps we're going to take to reorient our love as parents to God first. And then obviously we still love you. And that could look like telling them, Hey, we we uh, we've got to make room in our budget to be more generous, and yeah. so we're going to have to cut some things as a family. Yeah. Uh, it could look like we've got to make more time to either worship with the gathering of our believers, whatever church, church you're a member of, or to serve. And that means on Sunday mornings, instead of this, we're going to do this. Yeah. And so that way, it's not just ripping this Band-Aid off and your kids are like all of a sudden disoriented with the decisions that you're making, but you're having a family meeting about it. Yeah. And then there's accountability. Your kids are going to ask you because you've told them something. They're going to be like, well, why are we sleeping in on Sunday now? Or whatever. And so I think that that's some practical steps I would take. That's good. Yeah, I think starting with that uh, personal conversation with God about against you and you only have I sinned like David mm. did. And I think if you look at the Ten Commandments, the the kind of things that God said to his people, this is what it looks like to follow me. And there's really easy ways to reorient the first five mm-hmm. around our family in a way that's not fair. Uh, to say, hey, instead of God being first, I'm going to have my kids. Instead of graven images of God, what I struggle with is pictures of my kids. I need the right picture. I need, even in the metaphoric sense, I need my kids to look a certain way so that I am made much of or they are made much of. Or instead of honoring the Sabbath day, I'm going to honor my kids by saying, when do, when do we get to rest? We are too busy. When do we get to, you know, we make the Sabbath day about us instead of about us and the Lord. It becomes about us and our kids. Yeah. Or you know, when it says, honor your father and mother, we make that about, well, how could the parents honor the kids? And again, there's there's so much that I think we could reorient around, well, all the commandments are given so that we might rightly love our neighbor mm-hmm. or rightly, but first priority is to rightly love our God. And where we see that not happening, we don't drive each other towards condemnation. What we want instead is maybe if you're listening to this conviction that says, I, I do need to change yeah. some things, but not condemnation. And if you're struggling with that, you go back and listen to our episode on parent guilt and, and get all built up in that because that is something we all struggle with, that's self-judgment. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we will see you next week.